So if we want to talk about teacher pay, the first thing we need to do is look at the school districts and see how many overpriced administrators right. they're paying as opposed to classroom teachers. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. 2020 election will likely be decided right here in the Midwest, just as it was four years ago. This past week, 20 Democrats took to the debate stage in Michigan. And Thursday, the president punched back in a rally down the road in Cincinnati. Soon, all eyes turned to Iowa, with the Iowa caucus now six months away. So what is the mood in the Midwest ahead of 2020? How will these contentious debates impact the Democrats running for president? We'll tackle some of those questions today, starting with the debates and reporter Atra Elnashar from our Michigan affiliate WXMI. The first round of 10 candidates taking the stage at the Fox Theater Tuesday night. And instead of frontrunners Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren going after each other, they played defense. For senior citizens, it will finally include dental care, hearing aids and eyeglasses. But you don't know Second that. of all, you don't know that, second Bernie. of all, we'll I, just, second I do know and I wrote the damn bill. It was a night of moderates versus progressives, spending most of the night debating arguably the central issue of 2020, healthcare. Sanders and Warren using their Medicare for all platforms to tell the others to go big or go home. Everybody does to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. <laughs> Former Maryland Congressman John Delaney jumping at the chance to label Medicare for all as too idealistic. Creating a universal health care system is doable. Getting rid of private insurance, like everyone knows that's not going to happen. No one takes it even seriously, actually, to be honest with you. Avoiding a fight with his fellow candidates, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg swoops in with an effort to keep the peace, focusing on the fight against Republicans. Stop worrying about what the Republicans will say. Look, yes. if. If, if it's true that if we embrace a far left agenda, they're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. If we embrace a conservative agenda, you know what we're, they're going to do? They're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. Meanwhile, those at the bottom of the polls like author Marianne Williamson and Montana Governor Steve Bullock, who didn't qualify for the last debates, seem to remain realistic about their place in the race. We all know how serious uh, this election is, and I feel very, very confident once the nominee is chosen, we're going to be a, we're going to be a team. I really enjoyed being up there. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed talking about it, hopefully some of the challenges face everyday Americans. And once those candidates step off the debate stage in the Fox Theater, things are starting to get real. And that's because to qualify for the next round of debates in September in Houston, they need to nearly double the support they have. They have to have 130,000 unique donors at least and pull at least 2% in four qualifying polls. So that might not seem like much, but again, that's more than double than what they needed to get on the debate stage here in Detroit. You can't beat President Trump with double talk on this plan. Former Vice President Joe Biden coming on to the Detroit stage ready for round two with California Senator Kamala Harris after she came away with the upper hand in the last round of debates. This week, rolling out a 10-year plan to implement universal health care. And in 2019 in America, for a Democrat to be running for president with a plan that does not cover everyone, I think is without excuse. This idea is a bunch of malarkey, what we're talking about here. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that there will be a deductible. It will be a deductible on their paycheck. Bernie acknowledges it. Bernie acknowledges it. Three, tr $30 trillion 
has to ultimately be paid. And I don't know what math you do in New York. I don't know what math you do anywhere in California, but I tell you, that's a lot of money and there will be a deductible. Given the opportunity by the moderators to attack Harris's plan, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand refused, keeping a united front. I'm very proud of my colleagues on the debate stage. I think all of them have a strong vision for the future, and I just felt very privileged that I got to be part of it and talk about my vision. Colorado Senator Michael Bennett fighting to protect private health care and implement a public option. Worried going too far to the left will lose them the election. I'm absolutely convinced that it won't survive uh, vetting in the Democratic primary, which is good because the last thing we want is to lose to Donald Trump because we're taking health care away from 180 million people who get it from their employer. Also concerned about electability, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. Donald Trump won this state of Michigan by saying he was going to disrupt the status quo. How about we be the party that's going to disrupt the status quo for working people? Mr. No, Mayor, just a, just a 15 Booker second a point of clarification. United Who Democratic are you talking about? He didn't hold back from attacking Biden on his criminal justice record. Mr. Vice President, there's a saying in my community, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Biden, though, on the offensive with the issue of immigration with former HUD Secretary Julian Castro. First of all, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. Vice President Mike Pence also tweeting after the debate, saying the debate wasn't between moderates and liberals. It was between liberals and socialists, in his words. Quote, that's the Democratic Party today. We also heard from President Trump Thursday at a rally in Cincinnati. But I was watching the so-called debate last night. And I also watched the night before. That was long, long television. And the Democrats spent more time attacking Barack Obama than they did attacking me, practically. All right, meantime, the president's party facing more congressional retirements and more changes in the cabinet. This week, former Indiana Senator Dan Coats stepping down as director of national intelligence after a series of behind the scenes and sometimes more publicly apparent clashes with the president. We'll talk more about that later this morning with our panel and the drama over Coates' replacement. But today we're also talking about and talking with another member of the cabinet from Indiana, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, who was in Bloomington Friday to talk about one of the administration's health care initiatives at a time where health care, as you just heard, is still very much a hot topic in politics. Joined now by Secretary Alex Azar. Mr. Secretary, welcome back to Indiana. We thank you for taking the time with us uh, today. We want to talk about why you're there in Bloomington in just a moment, but also more broadly uh, on health care. A lot of different policy proposals out there these days dealing with health care and health insurance. Obviously, the potential still exists also that courts could weigh in on the Affordable Care Act. How much uncertainty exists right now in this country when it comes to health care policy? Well, I think we've got two fairly radically competing concepts of what health means for America. We've got a, an approach out there that would be a government takeover of health care with bureaucrats telling you what you get and what it'll cost. And you've got the competing vision that President Trump and we are offering, which is personalized, patient-centric, affordable health care that has you in control, that treats you like a person, not like a number. And that's what the president and I have been executing on throughout his administration. We're going to keep executing on and we're going we're gonna to help ensure that financing is better for health care. That means we take what works in our system, we protect it, 
and then we take what's broken and we fix it. So the 180 million of us who have private insurance or union insurance, the president's going to protect that. He's going to defend that, not let people take that away from you. The 60 million American seniors who have Medicare, he's going to protect that and he's going to make it better. And then for those in the individual market where it's broken, where the Affordable Care Act has not delivered for people, we're going to work to fix that, what's broken, and make choice available, make things affordable for people there. Obviously, a lot of gridlock in Congress as well. And if it, if it does end up getting settled further by the courts, does the administration have a plan if courts do strike down more of the law? How would that affect people? So what we've been doing with the Affordable Care Act, that's a fairly small slice. Remember, that's about 3% of, of Americans are under in the individual markets under the Affordable Care Act. So I think it's always important to keep things in perspective. It's, there, there's a much broader health care system, a much broader health financing system. And so what have we been doing, though, for the broken parts of the individual market? Uh, we've been making Obamacare work better than it was under President Obama. Premiums are down. We have more choice available. It's still very unaffordable for so many people. And even if you get the insurance, it might have a really high deductible or be very expensive for you. So we're trying to make other options available, like association health plans where small groups can band together to get insurance or short-term limited duration plans that can cost 50% of what other insurance might cost or health reimbursement arrangements where your employer can actually give you money and you can go out into the marketplace and pick the insurance you want rather than just what your just what your employer wants. And those are the types of elements that we would work towards as a, in, in a future plan in the event that the Affordable Care Act in its entirety were struck down. It's all about empowering the patient, the patient being in control, the patient being treated like a human, not like a number. That's the animating philosophy that will direct anything that we do working with Congress on replacing the Affordable Care Act if that becomes necessary. Right, more of that interview and the Bloomington Connection on our website. Also in Bloomington this week, the mayor suspending the city's farmer's market for two weeks after tension between protesters and counter-protesters. Really an escalating situation involving concerns about white nationalism. A local chapter of Antifa involved as well, reportedly. And a lot of First and Second Amendment questions about what the city can or maybe can't do about the situation. More of that on our website as well. Coming up next, we'll talk with our panel about the race for president, and we'll see where Mayor Pete Buttigieg and the other candidates stand in the first poll since this past week's debate. And we'll talk about the race for mayor in Indianapolis, what the candidates are saying this week, and the decision a former Indianapolis mayor just made about his future in politics. Next. Our panel now, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, conservative blogger Abdul Hakim Shabazz, and former communications director for the Indiana Senate Democrats, Elise Schrock. Let's start with the debates and the race for president. What were your big takeaways this week? My big takeaway is the clear winner of both debates this week was Tulsi Gabbard. She hmm. gutted Kamala Harris. I mean, Kamala Harris walked off the stage like holding her innards in just about. It was so bad. Uh, Biden did better. Uh, Booker did better. Uh, Buddha Judge, he's just kind of holding his own. He didn't really make the big impression he did, I don't think, in the first debate. But uh, I think that Gabbard is a future star. Maybe not president, but she's going places. You had President Trump saying this week that, that the candidates went after the Obama administration at times seemingly more than they went after President Trump. Uh, that did seem to be the case at times. Uh, some Democrats now saying, what was the 
strategy there. I don't think there was a strategy there, and I think it actually uh, served to help Joe Biden a great deal. You think it did? I oh, really yeah. do. Because a lot I, of people panned his performance. But I don't, I think when you see Democrats attacking, I mean, whether or not you think President Obama's policies were good, he left office tremendously popular, and Joe Biden was his vice president. So I think seeing Democrats attack that does not help anyone other than Joe Biden. How does all of this play in the, in the Midwest, Abdul? This debate obviously being held in Michigan. The candidates will be in Iowa next week for the state fair. The caucus there six months away. Uh, what, what role will our region play in this primary and in the general election? Which well, candidates might thing, have a better chance? Well, one thing, if you're from here. Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, I mean, Midwesterners were basically fundamentally like frugal, kind of common sense people. And when I sat there and watched both debates, uh, my wallet like jumped off the table and ran away. <laughs> because you're looking at, we're talking about you know, free health care this and free this and taxes. Like, Who's going to pay for all this stuff? And that is not going to appeal, you know, to, to Midwesterners because we're, we're just not those kind of people. But that seemed to be the battle in some of these debates, right, uh, between the two wings of the party. And uh, to what degree do you take some of those proposals or don't you? Right. And I think they are, especially when it comes to health care, making it affordable. Where are we going to uh, take our ide ideas? There are two kind of camps that we saw emerge from this debate. But the fact of the matter is they're talking about how to bring greater health care access and solve some issues that are happening for everyday people in our nation. Um, they're at least having the discussion where from the Republicans we usually just see repeal with not much of a plan to replace. We see, you know, re response to our plans without much of a their own plan behind it. I thought it was also interesting that there was a very intentional couple of moments where you hear them say, let's not talk about these policies as a response to what Republicans are saying. Let's have a discussion about what our ideas are and, and where we're going to be when we run. Mayor Pete kind of made that point in the debate. Uh, let's look at some of the polling numbers out on Friday because they do show, uh, to your point, Joe Biden's still on top, really, by a pretty good margin. He's that green line there at the top. He's stayed at the top of the field. Elizabeth Warren seeing a little bit of an uptick. Uh, Buttigieg still in fifth, while Cory Booker has now moved into sixth place now with 3% tied with Beto O'Rourke. Uh, what else stands out to you as you look at those polls and, and Joe Biden still with about well, the same lead he has before him? tripled his numbers in the past That's month true. or so, yeah. gone from nothing to 3%. Yeah, but that was valedictorian in summer school. So what does true. that mean? <laughs> I have to agree with uh, Jennifer, though. I mean, they spent so much time indirectly attacking um, Obama and I really believe, as some people said the day after, that Obama could not get the Democratic nomination right now because that party has gone so far to the left, he would look like a Republican. Your response to that? No, I, I don't disagree with you, actually. Oh, this feels so weird to not disagree with you, Mike. You're sitting too close. I know, it's true. You're in my chair. Um, no, I, I do think, I mean, I think the polling numbers are still strong for Joe Biden. I think they're going to continue to be strong. And I also think that we can't take a response to the debates, which largely have become people just waiting for someone to mess up or something to be gift or something to be out of the ordinary. We can't take that as an actual measurement of this race. And I don't know how much effect they're actually going to have on the race. Do you see anyone who's not in that top four or five still being a able to build enough momentum to really get into this race. Someone like Cory Booker is now at 3%. I mean, there, there may be like AMP? a, there's always sort of that one, I'll call it that sort of the random X factor in, in politics. There's always that one person who maybe nobody saw coming that because of circumstances sort of shoots up. But the one thing I think those polls tell us is number one, that the, the people who will probably vote in the primary are not the people who spend all day on Twitter and Facebook and social media. These are people who probably live out in the real world and real life and do real things. And they're probably not even watching the, the debates, to be honest with you. And so when I see the sort of the activist chatter class, 
could get all worked up, I'd say thank God for real people who live in real life. <laughs> what about Mayor Pete's uh, polling numbers and his performance in the debate? Yeah, I think he's still hanging on there as one of those kind of peripheral um, people on the stage. Uh, I think he is playing it pretty safe, but I think that's kind of where uh, that's just just seems like a natural uh, part of his style to kind of come in and be the adult in the room, to come in and have, you know, a statement that kind that kind of clears the air when things get a little bit contentious. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that's um, uh, not a bad tactic to take when people are watching these. Well, debates. look, eventually the whole dynamic may change when you have all of the candidates on the sure. stage at the same time and not on two different. But Pete's nights. been just having bad luck. I mean, so you had the the problem with the police chief a few weeks ago. And then this the past week, the, the FBI raids the yeah. South Bend Housing Authority. Right. I mean, it's he's he's got he needs some some good luck to happen quickly. Got to move on here and talk about uh, Dan Coats' departure as director of national intelligence. Coates clashed with President Trump in his two years in the position on issues like Russian election interference, Iran, and North Korean's North Korea's nuclear program. The president first nominating Texas Congressman John Ratcliffe as Coates' replacement. Then Friday, uh, it was announced that Ratcliffe would not be the nominee. Certainly, though, when it comes to Coates, a, a lot of reaction from the Indiana delegation, a lot of uh, work for the praise for the work he did or perhaps tried to do in the administration. And actually, uh, we're going to uh, run a story on our website, IndyPolitics.org, uh, this weekend that, for the most part, it was the White House had been, the, the regular White House staff had been begging Coates to stay because he was actually getting ready to leave in early 2019. But they begged him to stay because, A, he knew what he was doing, and, two, there was no one to replace him who had that sort of gravitas and took things Seriously. The regular White House. <laughs> I know, the Shadow White House? Shadow uh, well, let's put it this way. There's Donald Trump, and then there's like the other people who know what they're doing. Apparently, there was also no one who could replace him who could tell the truth on his resume. So I guess <laughs> well, that's, that's a pretty low bar. But uh, it, look, I mean, I never understood why Dan Coates took that job. And I know darn good and well why he left it. Uh, he's, a, he's a statesman. Yeah. He's, a, he's a hero, yeah. plain and simple. And he was one of four people in the Trump administration I was counting on to make sure that Trump didn't go off the rails. The other ones were Kelly, Mattis, and McGahn. They're all gone now. And I think that's a really troubling pattern to it have is. for someone sitting in the highest office, where you have to have babysitters who are doing this because they love their country, which is a noble reason, but they're, they're dropping off. All right. Also this week, speaking of Indiana's current U.S. senators, kind of an interesting dynamic on the bipartisan budget deal. Some accept, expected a split, young voting uh, for it, and Mike brought against. Uh, Susan Brooks, who's retiring, was just one of two Indiana Republicans in the House to vote for that budget deal. Still a lot of candidates lining up to replace her in Congress. But this week, we just learned former Indianapolis Mayor Greg Ballard, who you just saw, uh, would not be among them. He has decided against a run for Congress in the 5th District. Well, speaking of Indianapolis and this year's race for mayor, this past week, Republican candidate Jim Merritt confronting Mayor Joe Hogshead on the issue of IMPD's staffing goals. Merritt called it a lack of progress in maintaining and in increasing the number of officers, while the mayor's campaign says they've further funded a net addition of 150 officers to ensure IMPD has the resources it needs to hire and train recruits. Hogsett's campaign said that will help them hit the goal of 1,743 officers by the end of the year. Well, we're certainly getting uh, to a point where I think uh, we'll end the year with uh, 1,743, which is uh, what we uh, what we hoped for, uh, obviously, uh, retirements and other forms of attrition have have slowed us down a little bit toward getting to that uh, number. This year, we've lost 75 police officers in six months, more than the 71 projected by the Hogsett administration. The mayor, as the chief executive of Indianapolis, must be held accountable.
All right, we'll talk more about all this on our podcast, but quickly some thoughts on the race for mayor here. Certainly public safety will be a big issue this year. It is a big issue, but as you heard the mayor said, they're on track for this. I think um, Senator Merrick continues to kind of grab on straws on issues that he thinks might stick because um, he's behind the ball on this. Um, I also think you had a hiring freeze from 2011 to 2014 in the previous admin administration. So you are going to see a lot of retirement because between those years, you didn't have new classes coming in. So we're working with an older force, um, trying to um, work with numbers that are always going to fluctuate, but they're on, they're on track. Abdul, I'll give you the last word on this. The, the problem is, is that uh, Joe Hawks, who's a friend, he ran on public safety. I'm a U.S. attorney. No, we're going to go fight crime. They've, we've had record year after record year of homicides. We're only like four behind where we were last year at this time. And the number of police isn't where the Hawks administration is to be. So I think pointing out Joe's record on public safety is fair game. As we said, more on our podcast. All right, up next is the State Fair gets underway. The governor acknowledges the controversy over this new swine barn at the fairgrounds. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. All right, the Indiana State Fair now underway at the fairgrounds. Governor Holcomb kicking off the festivities on Friday, but he's also responding to concerns about the cost of this new swine barn that was added into the state budget, $50 million project. It'll still house livestock during the state fair, but will also be able to host events year-round. Democrats have balked at the cost. The governor saying Friday he was surprised by the backlash. We'll talk more about that on our podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Lise. My winner is Indigo. They wrapped up construction of the red line um, uh, as expected, and I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing that project roll out. All right, Abdul. My biggest loser, Senator Kamala Harris, will be for exposed for the political fraud that she is when it comes to the issue of public safety in the second ICE debate. All right, my winner is Joe Biden, still on top in the polls, did pretty well in the debates uh, this past week. And my loser is TV audiences at debates, because I really don't care about all the yelling and screaming. I just want to hear what the candidates have to say. No studio audience here, right? Mike. My loser has to be Donald Trump. He promised in 2016 to get rid of the national debt in eight years. He just signed a bill to increase it by $1.7 trillion. All right, we'll leave it there. Hope you can join us on our podcast as well. And we'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. <laughs> We're talking about all kinds of extra news nuggets on our podcast here this week. Talking about the red line here behind the scenes and how it's going to work. But talking about the, the swine barn, I know that was something that you, you talked about earlier and on the show a couple of weeks ago in the State Fair. Uh, Governor Holcomb this week saying he was a bit surprised by the backlash, kind of joked about it as well, saying that uh, it was the first time he'd known of that uh, pork wasn't a popular thing in politics. Uh, but I know this is something you've been talking about a Listen, lot lately. Listen, I am a former 4-H'er. I actually showed swine, so this is no shade to that program, which is incredible. Um, and, and that helped me actually fund the first couple years of um, college, buying my books. Um, was from all that money that I stored away during those summers. I think the issue that the general public is having with this is the sense of urgency around other issues. We've held on to this surplus for years, and we've taken a chunk away to, uh, to apply to a couple different projects, and I think a lot, many people were expecting it might go to teachers to help them with their raises. And then when you see it go to a swine barn, it, it kind of trivializes the sense of um, urgency around what's going on in our schools. Let's do government finance 101 here, since we're kind of talking about teachers and education. You do not use one-time dollars to pay for ongoing expenditures. It is just that simple. So let's say 
No Swine Barn, uh, no facilities at Ivy Tech in Columbus, none of the other couple other projects that the state, by the way, is paying for in cash, which is already approved by lawmakers, and by paying for, paying for it in cash, you save on the interest rate, and that money goes to teachers. That's part of the long-term thing. But the question is, what, if you let's say you take the $300 million, put it toward teacher pay, what do you do next year? Because there's no guarantee you're going to have that $300 million next year because we're, about to, we're on the beginning of, the, of a recession here in the state of Indiana. So that $2 billion at surplus is going to be actually really good. This is the problem with my Democratic friends. I, I love them dearly, and I respect them wanting to pay teachers more, but we have to do it in a fiscally responsible, long-term manner. Well, I think really you're also missing the point about how teachers actually get funded, which my parents are public school teachers. When I went to work for the state Democratic Party, I called my dad, and I was like, hey, man, I got this job, and so I won't have to live in your basement anymore. <laughs> I'm making this amount of money. He's like, that's cool. I'm, I, you only make $10,000 less than I do. I don't think that people understand how schools get funded. We can't, the state can't say this has to go for teacher raises. Districts make those decisions at the local level. And quite honestly, they need to do a better job. Teachers make far less than they should overall and far less than they should in, this, in the nation, in Indiana. But that's not how school funding works in Indiana. But what it really comes down to is what you value, okay? The market, unfortunately, does not value teachers. Years ago when I was in the legislature, Indigo bus drivers were making more than a teacher with a master's degree. And I told that to the Perry Township uh, public school superintendent in front of a bunch of teachers, and it's true. And so while we need good bus drivers too, we need to pay teachers what they deserve, and the market does not value Before that. You, but, 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 one, but, one thing, yeah. but one thing too to keep in mind also, uh, the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute, they got a report coming out next week, and that report will show they did a survey and a study of uh, how much is spent on school personnel dollars uh, on classroom teachers. The average number in the state of Indiana in traditional public school is 47%. So less than half of the money that's supposed to go toward personnel in the school district goes toward a classroom teacher. Now in charter schools, the number is 57% because they don't have as much overhead. So if we want to talk about teacher pay, the first thing we need to do is look at the school district and see how many overpriced administrators right. they're paying as opposed to classroom teachers. Well, there's been talk about school district consolidation and things along those well, lines. Well, there's been but, consolidation uh, going on since 1908, but I won't get in, I won't go back that far. But there's <laughs> always a more than 100, more, more than 100 years. We haven't had a history lesson right right this show, but, like. but at a time when the Catholic schools at one time had 100,000 kids and 100 administrators, the IPS had 36,000 kids and 300 administrators. So, and I'm not just picking on IPS, Catholic or public school uh, super, uh, districts in general have a way too many ratio, too large of a ratio of administrators to students, and you have to get the money to the classroom, whether it's personnel or school supplies or whatever. It's definitely an issue that will uh, continue to uh, remain in the news. We'll see how uh, the swine barn comes along, whether it raises revenue. I know that was something you were talking about here. How much money uh, will that raise throughout the year because you're able to hold I mean, events in it year-round? Will it raise money for the state? Will it not raise money? Will it bring in money? the bacon? I'm, Is that what you're ah, saying? Yeah. Is that what you're I'm, saying? I'm proud of the fact Clever. that our, that, our, <laughs> that our governor is paying attention to a critical sector, which is ag and it's not just the egg uh, shows, it's also the education that goes along with that. And he's preserving a big chunk of a historic building. It's not all going to be preserved, but a big chunk of it's going to be preserved for future generations. I'd rather it pave roads, but okay. And what you right. save in interest is $100 million over time, along with those three other projects, which once again goes toward other state programs. Let's talk about the race for mayor, too. We mentioned the public safety uh, items in the news this past week, but also kind of an interesting situation this week relating to merit campaign signs and maybe some unease about uh, being associated with President Trump uh, within the city of Indianapolis. 
and the signs being next to each other, perhaps, right? What, what happened here? I'm not. I'm still trying to figure all that out. I actually, went down to uh, basically it's a Perry South Township. Yeah, it's a Perry Township, right? Southside headquarters, right there on right there on Madison yeah. Street, next to the Do It Best Hardware place. Uh, they opened up a just a little small Southside headquarters for three of the council candidates. Is that a Jeff Cardwell? Yeah, Jeff Cardwell. Yeah. yeah, that's his yeah. place. Yeah, and Former it's, uh, state it's chair. yeah, it's yeah. make phone calls and you know have headquarters Trump for check. signs, et cetera. Um, when I got there, I saw the, the signs in the window. There was, you know, Trump, the counselors, Jim Merrick. I'm like, okay, I mean, there, there's this back and forth as to how popular is Donald Trump in Marion County? Will that be a hindrance on the, the Jim Merrick campaign? I could see why the Hogshead people would want to make Donald Trump and Jim Merrick an issue, because even though Donald Trump has nothing to do with, you know, police, nothing, I don't recall Donald Trump making a pothole here, and I don't recall Donald Trump having three years of the highest murder records in the city of Annapolis. So I could see my Democratic friends wanting to make that argument and tie Jim Merritt to Donald Trump. The, the fine line for people like Jim Merritt is, while you want to distance yourself from Donald Trump and the crazy things he does, he's still extremely popular with a lot of Republicans. So. Well, Donald he's Trump, the one that made it a story by taking the sign down. <laughs> right. It wasn't us just being well, like, we don't know oh, that he took it down. Wait, 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 wait. We don't, we don't know exactly how the sign came down. We took it down and could have fallen down because the it, masking tape is bad. It My dear friend, who knows? Um, <laughs> hang on. The, the Last week we were debating pre-roll ads on YouTube. This week we're debating yard signs. You know what doesn't vote? Pre-roll ads and yard we gotta be we gotta be careful when we're casting blame on people. Well, the one thing I do know is Mayor Hogsett announced that he was gonna make this one of the safest cities in America four years ago. This city is not safe. You it's talk as about violent as Chicago per capita. And you talk about President Trump. That was a big item in the news this past week, not just with the city of Baltimore, but in his rally in Cincinnati Thursday, the president kind of go, going after uh, a number of large US cities, right? And and the dynamic there perhaps does that play out here within the city of Indianapolis well, in terms of the things president the, the things the president has said about major metropolitan areas? And, and Abdul's right. You're not calling Donald Trump for potholes or to talk about city issues. City issues are hard. They take time. They don't happen overnight. You can't just say I'm going to have an executive order to make crime go down. It takes long long institutional change and I think that um, Mayor Hogshead has been very intentional about that. Um, he continues to talk about it. He continues to work at it. Um, I mentioned this on the show. He came into a police force that had been on a hiring freeze for a number of years. When you're trying to increase your numbers and work with the numbers you have, that adds a whole other um, element. So yeah, it is going to take time. And yeah, it's tough, um, but it's the hard work that mayors do around this country every day. But to answer your question, which I think you gave a great talk there for Hogs, but I don't think he answered his question. The answer yeah. to the question is yes, there are parts of Indianapolis that are really bad shape and the police know where they are and the mayor knows where they are, but they don't seem to be improving just like parts of Baltimore aren't improving and parts of Chicago and parts of Detroit and parts of Louisville or whatever. All big cities have parts, neighborhoods that really Part of my help. question also was, is, is the dynamic um, in the city of Indianapolis politically one that, that Merritt would want to distance himself from the president for because of some of the things he has said and done. No, uh, I don't think Trump's going to have any effect in this race whatsoever. You don't think so. yeah. I also think, um, and we talked a little bit about this, look, 
If you asked some random person, hello, all the random people listening to this podcast or watching our show, like, do you know how many cops are on the streets of Indianapolis? No one has any clue. And I bet if you asked them what the murder rate was, they'd say, I don't know, maybe they might say 50, they might say 300. If it doesn't affect them personally, they don't care about it. Now, if someone would just do a local poll or something, maybe we could find <laughs> out whether people have that. that feeling that public safety is heading in the wrong direction. Well, it's but funny it's you a, should. It's funny you should. It's funny you should mention that because uh, break a little bit of news here. If everything works the way I expect it to, uh, we'll be polling the mayor's race uh, a little bit later uh, in mid in mid August. Uh, we managed to put together the the numbers of pollsters in the whole nine yards, which is dotting some I's and crossing T's, and we do do the. You know, Hogsett, you know, merit head-to-head matchup, but we also talk about issues like crime, issues like okay. infrastructure. So with a little bit of luck, give me three weeks and hopefully we'll have we some sort of forward to you back on the show. Is that in your political role or in your law firm role? Uh, all of the above. <laughs> he wears so many hats. What law firm is that? Uh, I'm at Lewis and Wilkins. Oh, okay. Yeah. I take my money wherever I can get it to pay Let's for this thing. Unlike some other people, I think ours are uh, correct. <laughs> we come yeah, correct right. with ours. Oh, man. Hey, my pollster called the Donnelly Hawks, uh, Donnelly uh, Braun race right down to the number. So There you go. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. We'll check in with you again <laughs> then as the race for mayor continues. I think we'll leave it there for the week. Okay. We'll see you again next Sunday. <laughs> this broadcast brought to you by... <laughs> See you next week.